Hi, you're listening to Offsite, a series of interviews with theatre makers who work in unusual, site-specific, site-responsive and non-traditional spaces. This series was recorded over two weeks in December 2020 and is supported by the Arts Council. I'm Owen Winning and in this episode I'm talking to Maura O'Keefe. Keith has been described by the Irish Times as the lateral thinking producer. She is an independent producer with over 25 years of experience, both nationally and internationally, in diverse areas of theatre and the arts. She's worked with many companies and artists, both at home and abroad, and has also mentored emerging producers. Um, Maura, thanks very much for talking to me. You're welcome. Nice to see you again, Owen. Yeah, good to see you again. Um, So I suppose I've been kind of starting at the start with these these chats. Um, So I just wanted to ask you, like, do you come from an artistic family? No. No? No. No, I am one of seven children. I'm the the difficult middle child. I grew up um, in East Cork on a farm with Mm -hmm. horses and cows and all sorts of animals. I think I still know more about milking cows and riding horses than I do about <laughs> anything else. And I didn't, uh, I mean, I was always kind of really bookish, but I was also incredibly horsey. I mean, when I was you know, 15, 16, all I wanted to do was ride point to points and wasn't a strong enough rider. And, um, but I also was quite rebellious and liked going out and liked the crack and liked books I liked uh, I thought I think when I was about 16 17 I decided I wanted to be a journalist but um I uh yeah I sort of wasn't really sure so I decided to do arts in UCC and fell into dramat purely kind okay. of looking for something to do mm. um in that you know first few months of college and I went to the whatever clubs and societies day and there were the dramatic ones and I think I just found my family mm. and I got mm. stuck in and interestingly to kind of from the get-go um had just like zero interest in performing and a little bit in directing but mostly because anything that kind of involved being in charge mm. And bossing other people around is what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I did direct a couple of shows in college, but um, and they were okay. I think they they got well reviewed. Um, in in as much as your college plays do, the, the Irish Examiner, what used to call the Examiner, then was used to review all the student plays, which is kind of great. Oh, yeah. Um, but I I was the PR. Uh, for dramat in first year, I just loved that. Mm. I loved the sort of. I loved getting out of the university as well. I think into the city and into. And so that's sort of you know doing the radio interviews and talking to the journalists. It just sort of that kind of real world stuff was great. Mm. Um, and also in college, like my first professional uh, sort of stint was with Roger Gregg. Um, I worked as the stage manager on an adaptation that Roger did of Jerry Murphy's poems in the Triscoll. Right. 
Um, so yeah, so I kind of I think it was a combination of just finding finding a world that I really loved and a medium and 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 a and an art form that I loved. Mm. So was there any question of you then when you say obviously doing doing arts in UCC? I presume were you studying? You weren't studying drama though. You were, no, you were it was like back English in the day or... before, and in fact, I did single honors French. Oh right. And so I did. I did, I did English as a minor subject, and mm-hmm. um, and I think I, I pretty much did all of my all of my English courses were either Beckett or something kind of theatre related. Right. I did a little um, Beckett in French. As well. Were you still planning on uh, trying to get into journalism at that point, or at, no. like at what point did you? Did you kind of not really know going to college what you wanted to do and, and found out the way? Or? I didn't really know, and that's why I, I did arts. Mm. I had gone off to France the summer between leaving cert and, um, and college and worked as an au pair, and the family were moving to India, and they wanted to bring me with them, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go. And my parents yeah. were like, that's mad. Um, and they sort of managed to persuade me to not go. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think uh, I'm glad I didn't because I think it would have been a very different life <laughs> for me if I hadn't yeah, um, so yeah I had no real idea what I wanted to be when I grew up mm. um, I think it was so I was so different I, I know that um, I, I kind of really resisted that because I'm one of six girls mm. and I'm kind of from a fairly conservative Catholic farming background and mm. I was bold and stroppy and mm. so um but at the same time you know I'm a disciplined family so my kind of rebellion was very sort of mixed um mm. uh, and so I think I just didn't want to go that route of nurse or teacher or air hostess or all those kind of jobs that were kind of seen to be good kind of sort of solid mm. kind of middle class rural girl jobs Right. Oh, brilliant. I wish I had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of those men. And so I think I just, you know, I thought I went to college with a bit of a strop on me in a way. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and I think, yeah, I think when I discovered the theatre, it was just like, this is, this is brilliant. This mm. is, but, but it kind of was just where I belonged. Mm. Um. In the course of researching uh, past shows for this project, uh, your name came up regularly. Um, by my reckoning, well, you're working with Pat Kiernan now. You've uh, previously worked with Paul Geoghan, um, Tom Lane, Mel Mercier, Donald Gallagher, Maeve Lambert, John McCarthy, um, all of whom I'm interviewing as part of this this uh, the series. Um, I suppose the question is, like, do you seek out artists who are interested in off-site work or do they come to you? I think a bit of both. I think we, we all kind of, you know, gravitate towards our tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been interested in off-site work. I think partly because I just... Uh, I'm just not very conventional. I don't like being hemmed in by proscenium marches or, and I think as well, when I started in theatre, it was, you know, I think everything was sort of off-site and off, Mm. you know, didn't, um, when you don't get a formal training or come through a kind of any kind of formal system. And back then in Cork, 
the theatre scene was very formal. It was like Cork Theatre Company, the Everyman, the Opera House. It was all very old school, very male, very proscenium arch dominated. Mm. And um, Meridian had sort of, when I was in college, Meridian were just on the scene and um, I joined them actually after college. And around that same time, Kirkadirka started up with Pat and Connor Lovett and Judy and Terence White. And again, it was partly that thing of necessity, you know, the Everyman was this big stage, big stage, big, big house. Opera house was a big stage, big house. The granary was harder to get into. So, you know, space was premium at a premium. Triscoll was there, but that was really small. So you had either really big or really small. Um, and, uh, and so I think we were always just looking for places to put on shows, um, but I like I like that I don't like that thing of uh, you know I remember one of the shows I did with with Meridian which was offsite was in what was then the Seaton Dock which late, later on became the Half Moon. Um, oh yeah. Okay. I remember going in there to do a show called Castle Rackrent. I mean, it was literally still the Seaton Dock. It was kind of an idea that we had, mm. and I remember just bumping up against all this kind of you know resistance from the established kind of theater people mostly the technicians and and that thing you know who do you think you are with your and oh you don't know this and you don't know that and I still I still remember one night kind of at 12 o'clock uh fireproofing the set by myself mm. and like crying with frustration because I didn't know how to do it I'd had to kind of try and find out from somebody um uh, how it happened because all of the the opera house technicians and staff were kind of more or less laughing at me because I didn't know that you're supposed to fireproof things mm. and I was like nobody had told me and so there was a real sense of the kind of the system being kind of you you know you couldn't get into the system or into the scene unless you knew what borax was or you knew what I don't know a leg was or and I didn't know what any of those things were for years so I think uh, I think I have instinctively sought out artists who don't who don't kind of work in conventional ways, and mm. I, I'm more likely to say yes. Like I've just said yes to a project with a, a, a kind of choreographer where he's going to make smelt gold and make a two meter bar, and I said yes because I think the idea is like just fantastic. Mm. Um, and you know he's he's a choreographer and a dancer and he's wanting to smelt gold. Mm. <laughs> but I like that. I like the bonus of that. But also at the core of it is a really interesting idea about symbolism and that, that kind of making something about this moment and what mm. it feels like. And that's that idea of two meters and making a two meter gold. No, it's not a bar. He's going to make it into like a kind of quite a fine thread almost. <laughs> um, Budget allowing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got some money. It's, and that's been fascinating as well. It was part of the Dublin Theatre Festival uh, Assemble um, mm. grant that they announced recently. Um, and we put in, I think, you know, something like, you know, 8,000 euros for gold. Mm. And everybody's going like, oh, my God, you can spend 8,000 euros of gold. But of course, you know, we spend 8,000 euros on sets all the time. That yeah, we're exactly. Scrapping. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, then you're going to have 8,000 euros of possibly a more valuable commodity than you started off with like <laughs> totally totally and obviously a piece of art that we yeah. can then bequeath to uh, 
some state body or something, you know, that we haven't figured out yet. Sure. He hasn't done. So, so I guess it's a long-winded way to answer your question uh, with kind of without saying yes or no. Well, you, I you, think you said a, both. So I, I presume, like you mean, at the start you were seeking out people, but presumably now, now that you've established yourself as as somebody who who likes to work this way. Uh, other artists are hearing about that and want to work with you for those yeah. reasons. Yeah, I think so. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I think as well that, that that there aren't very many producers who who work like I do. I think mm-hmm. as well. Um, oh, okay. Well, that kind of brings me on to the next question, actually, because I was going to say, like, how do you how do you define the role of producer? As in, what what is it that you do? you know, um, on a kind of day-to-day um, basis. My sort of joke with myself is that my producing style is to give artists enough rope to hang themselves with. <laughs> um, but I keep forgetting that that's kind of quite a vicious sort of image. But my thing is also that if, like the rope, I'm holding the rope. And so it's like, you know, you can either hang yourself with it or you can hang on. <laughs> but it's, I suppose I I really do believe in and it's it's okay to fail. Mm. It's okay for things to be like ten car pileups and be a disaster, but you know it it needs to. Yeah, I don't I don't, um, and I also I'm I'm I I just I try to kind of help artists still you know do what they want to do, and sometimes that's not necessarily the right thing, but. Um, because you know projects end up being disastrous or don't work or but um yeah I'm not the kind of producer who sort of sits in the in the theater going oh no you kept doing that or this I, I just can let people on with it and try and create an environment that works for them mm-hmm. um I, I think my producing style is also about putting the right people together mm-hmm. that doesn't always work but um, and then just um, making sure that they spend their money correctly. Mm. Um, I'm trying to kind of keep it really simple, yeah. um, but it's also one size fits one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so my relationship with every artist is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to have the same budget template for every project, but but uh, that's probably the only consistency throughout right um and how much uh like do you find that your job is more difficult if you're working in a non-traditional theater space as opposed to a bricks and mortar venue um it depends on the project Mm -hmm. if you you know um so for example you know um I did. I worked on the big chapel with Asylum last year. It was, but it was kind of more or less a year-long project, and we took over the whole town. It was kind of a mad project, but I had a, a brilliant line producer who was from Callan, which is where Asylum is based, and a, a brilliant production manager, Emma O'Grady from Markness, who's also an artist. Um, I think that's a real kind of plus in her favor as well. I think. There's a lot of brilliant production managers out there, but it's interesting to work with one who's also an artist. Um, and so that project, while on paper, was like massively difficult and really like intense. We had mm. such a brilliant team that it wasn't 
the things that might you might think were difficult just weren't because everybody got on really well mm-hmm. it was an absolute nightmare kind of financially to manage mm. um but the actual kind of morale and energy and focus and everything on the ground was just like incredible mm. so i guess the thing for me i define difficult projects by uh, difficult relations right. if there's okay. tension if yeah, there's yeah. Uh, if there's kind of yeah that mm-hmm. they're difficult i think we all kind of they're they're the things that really catch us all aren't sure they? and i guess that could be true if uh, you know wherever the uh, the production is on yeah so yeah yeah sometimes the um when you're teching off-site the uh, people's patience mm. and tolerance and and kind of good humor is better because there isn't again this thing of like this is the way it's supposed to be it's like who said this is the way it's supposed to be mm-hmm. it's, you know 19th century kind of health and safety or fire safety regulations or uh, you know union work to rule systems in venues it's like you know if you're out in a field it's like it's the elements it's you know once you kind of look after people mm-hmm. then then there are no rules and regulations so i think it can be sometimes it can be easier okay because you're not shackled by those kind of systems mm. okay, and sometimes great. in venues um you have, you know, you're you're tied to the venue's team, and they're, you know, they're not always on your side. Well, they actually sure. are always on your side, but they might not always agree with you. Mm. Absolutely. Um, at what point um, in the development of a project do you tend to come in? Um, are you there from the start, or? I like to be there from the start. Mm. For the most part, I'm there from the start um but sometimes uh not um i think it yeah i'm mostly there from from the beginning because um i i rarely say yes to projects anymore that have already kind of got their funding and um i need to be there to write the application yeah with people right. particularly on off-site projects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the more kind of conventional plays on stages in theatres are, are easier because it's easier to kind of rejig somebody else's budget. But an off-site work, um, it's yeah, a bit tricky to come in after the fact because yeah. usually I look at the budget going, oh, really? <laughs> you thought that you could do that for like <laughs> no pee? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, how involved do you like to be with the artistic side of a project? Um, I think again, it it depends on the artist. So, mm-hmm. for example, my work with with Maeve Lambert and Donald Gallagher on the Big Chapel, I was really involved, mm-hmm. um, because it was it was it was such a kind of multi layered project, and we had development funding, so we had time to really tease out the roadmap, mm-hmm. and because it was an adaptation of a novel, and we hit on very quickly the idea that it would be a roadmap through. Like we, basically the development was we created the map through the town mm-hmm. and so with that project the kind of logistical know-how was as important in the kind of developing the concept and um as as anything else mm-hmm. um, once once people get into the rehearsal room i that you know that kind of last four or five weeks i rarely interfere 
mm-hmm. or or sort of have have a heavy hand on the artistic side at that stage for two reasons one I uh, I rarely get to be on site as much as I used to um, mm-hmm. anymore because I'm a parent of a now 12 year old very busy and we live in the country and I'm the kind of school gate mm-hmm. um, shifter and shover so um that's why I always bring in line producers with me so that we can I can still give the same the artist and the company and the project the same amount of contact time mm-hmm. but it's spread across me and a line producer so over the years I've had to really pull back on being very hands-on uh, in terms of working closely with a director on how the ideas are shaping up but I would still be would still lead all of the production meetings and uh, and 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 so it's rare that a production meeting is in any way contentious in the middle of a rehearsal process but I'll stay really close so that if things come up in rehearsal artistic ideas that at, at kind of producing and production and we can help deliver mm. by kind of juggling things around I like to kind of stay in on that but it tends to be at that stage more reactive than sure. proactive yeah but you you know kind of when and where you're needed and you know when it's yeah. when when you when you're not needed you're able then to sort of step back like yeah 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 I think so um what was the first project that you worked on that wasn't in a traditional theater space the first project uh, professionally the first project that i worked or, on or uh, true dramatic or um I, I mean it's funny in a way like in dramat because everything happened in the granary mm. but everybody was always looking for ways to kind of turn it on its head and turn mm-hmm. it around and that but i remember in second year um one of the courses two courses that i did were theater courses with stephen gale it was the kind of precursor to the to the german theater studies course right. and the project was putting on a play and stephen was a director who since went on to to, I can't, I'm not sure where he went on our first, but he's, but he's a working director. But he, we did a production of The Marasad, okay. and uh, it was just fantastic. I was the assistant director on it, mm. and we did it um, with the audience in the centre on swivel chairs, and then we built just a little stage all around the edge, and the and the action took place on four sides. Mm. Um. And so even though it was in the theatre, it was really just completely for for me and for us, a really new way of looking at theatre and experiencing it and um, and using that space, kind of mm. completely turning it on its head. So that was the first sort of kind of messing around with kind of conventional mm. theatre. I think probably the first offside was doing Castle Rackrent in 1991 with Meridian in mm-hmm. what was then the scene dock and later became the half moon mm-hmm. um, of the Opera House in Cork. Um, yeah, that was definitely. Yeah. Um, and how did you start working with uh, the Performance Corporation? How did I start working with the Performance Corporation? I can't remember. Isn't that funny? I think I knew their work, mm-hmm. and I I must ask Joe about this. How did we meet? In the way that um, was the first show I did with them drive by. 
that went that according to my research it was but it was could, brilliant could, in which I, case <laughs> that's I good be mistaken. If, yeah no actually if it was drive by then i know i know how and why i must check this with joe though um i had a notion that, that year that i wanted to do a bunch of off-site projects and so i i applied to the arts council and i wanted to do kind of planes trains and automobiles kind of idea so i'd spoken to lynn parker mm -hmm. of rough magic about doing something on a boat i spoke to jimmy Fay about doing something in an airplane i spoke mm -hmm. to tom creed about doing something on a train and i spoke right. to joe about doing something in a car and nice. it was actually post car show remember that corn exchange did right. i thought oh that would be really good fun i want to do all four and I looked for whatever it was, 100 grand from the Arts Council. And they gave me, back in the day when they would not give you what you asked for, which is like still happening. But um, uh, they gave me, I, it was 50 grand. So I thought, okay, well, I can't really uh, sort of make the, all of them work for this. And then I, at the time I went to, like, I couldn't get a, a, a plane. <laughs> surprise surprise um uh, and i couldn't you know the people in the airport in cork were just having none of me and I, I i went to joe and i said look they've got this idea what about and then she was like well we've been thinking about this idea and so we pulled our resources mm -hmm. and did drive by which was set by boy racers mm -hmm. um and the same and then tom and the his um what were they called playgroup Mm -hmm. came up with the idea of doing a show on the Cork to Cove train. Yeah. And I convinced Erin with Erin to give us a carriage on the Cork to Cove live train. Yeah. So basically, I think we did two shows a day for the mm -hmm. for the for the run of the festival. Um I still every now and again I see a vision of the woman from Lyft, was it Rose Fenton? Rose came over. She was at the festival and like we're all excited she was coming to see train show mm. <laughs> and, and she missed the flipping train because oh, <laughs> it, oh no. it had to leave on time we couldn't yeah. hold the show for her yeah, yeah yeah it's just mad oh my god the director of lift like anyway yeah. um and so that was that was uh when was that i think that was 2005 yeah. yeah um, um so um, yeah, we nearly got the boat show off the ground because the guys who owned the Killarney, yeah. Killarney, which was the the, the Navy training, the naval training boat, yeah. um, it had been bought from the RTC and it was parked up down uh, uh, in near in the shipyard down near Cove, mm -hmm. um, and they were going to let me to, to let us use it um, to to make a show on a boat. Arthur oh really God. had agreed to write it, but then uh, about I think it might have been there, like February or March, whatever they decided to move the boat. Oh no! Um, to Dublin, so we lost it, and then at that stage it was just too late to find another sure. boat. And I think the idea of the Killarney was really good because it was it's it's rolling. But so we ended up doing drive by and train show. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it was, that's that's how I started working with Joe. Wow. Okay. Because my, my next question was like, you know, how did you manage to be working on on two shows at the same festival, you know, at the same time? But actually, if you'd had your way, you'd you'd have been working on four. four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've several times I've done more than one show. Partly, yeah. um, partly kind of 
good delegation. Mm -hmm. Deborah Dignam was my line producer. She was my kind of sidekick at the time. She's just brilliant, just brilliant. I think she, uh, I think she might have got out of the arts altogether now. She went and worked for the British Council for a while. Mm. She was just an absolute like super line producer. And Irene O'Mara was the stage manager on Drive By. Mm -hmm. um, Playgroup, <laughs> the train show was a bit of a challenge because we had so many kind of different groups, and sure. you know everybody had to get on at the different stops. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a, bit of a, a job, but it was good yeah. fun. Um, I've, I've I've often had more than one show. I think because I worked in festivals for so long as well. Mm -hmm. I worked in the, um, that you get used to kind of juggling lots of projects. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, a, a lot of your work is uh, technically and logistically complicated. Um, do you think having an independent producer encourages artists to widen their artistic vision, or is it more the case that an artist who wants to produce a complicated piece of work will seek out a producer to help them achieve that? So it's a chicken or egg kind of question. It is chicken or egg, yeah. Um, I'm not really sure I fully understand the question. Sorry, no. I'll, uh, I'll, re I'll rephrase. <laughs> so um, so when you're working on a lot of sort of large scale shows, um, so, okay, I, I, I put it this way, actually, maybe um, I find that simpler shows, say like a, a one person monologue or something like that, is less likely to, you know, when they're, when they're divvying up the, the budget and they're kind of going, okay, well, we have this much for designers and this much for production manager or whatever stage managers they're less likely to kind of like hire an independent producer externally because they kind of go like well actually it's a simple thing and we can figure it out ourselves and i'll do i i will take on i as the artist will take on that producing work whereas um if it was a more complicated um show they might go well i can't manage all this you know there's the security to think of or you know the the transport to think of all this kind of thing i better hire a producer um and i suppose the question is is that a legitimate way of looking at it or is it a case that if you hire a producer you you can you can instantly you know it's like it, it's an investment that pays for itself because you already sort of are um you know saving I, I time and energy yeah, I think it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, because, um, and and yes, I mean, you are right. You can achieve more kind of um, ambitious projects if you have a bigger team, a mm -hmm. better team. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on the artist or the group of artists. Um, at this stage, um, I, I, I think I'm sort of, you know, I've, I very rarely come across artists who like who don't who don't kind of consider the fact that you know producer is as as essential as any part yeah. of the team. Yeah, yeah. um and kind of actually interestingly recently in my in my work with Kirkadurka because they help a lot of young artists they am sort of experiencing that a little bit mm -hmm. um and um and in my sort of limited experience of, of that sort of emerging artist, I think they tend to be quite savvy mm. um, on lots of things. But um, 
yeah, I think it still depends. It depends because if you have a group of people, like for example, I've been doing, you know, the 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 artists who came through show recently. Um, so there was like a two, there was three collectives, like Taste in Your Mouth. There's like mm. there's three of them. A group called Murmuration. There's four or five of them, and mm. um, and they're all like really savvy, really know what they want to do. I think they do lack a producer kind of energy with them um, because they're all more interested in the process and the art form and the actual making of it. Mm. Um, does that mean they, they couldn't take on ambitious work? Um, I don't know. Remains to be seen, I think, with the younger artists because I think they're so much more savvy than than I am and I was. And, and I think with technology and all of those things a lot of the producing side of things like the marketing and the kind of branding and all of that which is important they're they're just so much better at it mm. um budgeting and delivering on kind of the tech stuff yeah again i think it remains to be seen you know if you yeah. look at say connor lovett and judy Hegarty, who i've been working with for 20 years they're still very very much the self-producers and the mm. way i work with them is i can step in and out on projects and and kind of fill in gaps where needed mm -hmm. um partly because their work is very specific but even you know even when it's kind of upscaled to sort of being kind of much more than just those beautiful solo pieces the last kind of four or five years yeah. where we've done quite large scale work and they would still take the kind of the dominant lead on the producing. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, so uh, sorry, I'm kind of waffling on that a bit, but I do think it is about relationships. And yeah. and no matter what, um, the artist themselves needs to understand the scale and the ambition, sure. I think. Yeah. Um, so no amount of good producers will, will bring an artist to a level unless they're able to themselves, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. Unless you go into somewhere like, say, like the Abbey or Druid director or a maker, because um, uh, then you've got this entire team who mm -hmm. deliver. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is slot into the, the place that mm -hmm. that is the director's place, the designer's place. Yeah. And that, I think, work really works for a lot of artists probably not the ones that I work with because they like to have more control and they like to be in charge of all of the elements. Sure. And the... I think when you go into an organization like that as well, they also bring a certain level of, um, I was talking to Thomas Conway about it earlier in, or, or last week, um, you know, the other context that say presenting in the Abbey has, or um, yeah. as, as like, obviously, you know fantastic team there and you know an incredible stage and that but it is very much it's the abbey and and that will have a, an imprint on on the project you know yeah just for yeah. the nature of staging it there that's um, right is sometimes it, i feel like if i was going on a busman's holiday i'd go and make a show in the abbey yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'd love it yeah, i would yeah. love it mm. yeah and anytime i have worked in the abbey i've just loved it loved the kind of the fun or the thrill of that oh my god like that's going to be done oh my god don't have to worry about that don't have to worry about that don't have to oh my god that's amazing yeah it is it's it's five star service in fairness <laughs> yeah, yeah it is <laughs> yeah, they're, they're yeah. really great in there yeah um is it part of your job to promote the productions you work on yeah yeah 
yeah. And and what yeah. makes an Irish audience want to leave their comfy couches and come out in the rain and snow to see, like, what have you found gets them off their couches and out? Festivals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you will notice there's a pattern of my work, particularly mm-hmm. in the last number of years. Some of it has been born out of necessity because, mm-hmm. again, I'm busy working kind of running around after my daughter mm-hmm. and um and so and I live in the sticks and don't you know I'm not kind of on site all the time so I've over the years pushed kind of lots of projects into festival context uh, people are more willing to take risks during festivals mm-hmm. and and are really interested and I think it is um I think like uh, again uh, I think um the, the idea of going into a theatre and sitting down and taking that risk for a lot of people is a big thing. It's like, mm. <laughs> and, and often my yardstick, of, somebody was asking me the other day about the hard to reach audience. And I always kind of look at my my family and and some many of my friends. I have one friend in particular who just like, just hates me because I make her go to things. But um, it's that, you know, if if I if I'm working on a project that Deirdre wants to go to or my sisters want to go to, it's like, oh my God, it's like hallelujah. Um but I know that my sisters, some of them would be far more inclined to stick their wellies on and go to Spike Island mm. than they would be to take their wellies off and go into the everyman and sit in a seat for two hours um because again it's that thing and i I, think for me it's like well i don't know what you're supposed to do you know i don't know what i I couldn't know what the pass arch was for i'd say about 10 years (laughs) working in the theater and i think it's the same for a lot of audiences Mm -hmm. it's uh uh we know what it's like to now and this is you know i think even in dublin if you look at say you know the work that louise and Owen and Anu are doing, where they really are uh, using the city to tell the city's own stories. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, Louise was talking recently on a Kirkadirka panel about the, the 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 first series, and just you know, it really was about that place telling its own story to itself. Mm-hmm. And the same with the big chapel, um, was you know was the third in a row of 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 projects mm-hmm. that was about Callan telling its own story to itself. And so just normal folk, not normal folk, what are normal folk? Um, people who are not necessarily interested in theatre are interested in that kind of work because it's like it's a, it's, it's a it's bit more of relevant that. to them. It's more relevant, but also it's uh, there's you don't feel like you like it doesn't feel like there's stuff you ha- you need to be doing. There are no rules as such. Mm. And so it's mm. a bit more it's a bit more accessible and open, and, um, but also a bit of crack bit of a yeah. risk and that's why in festivals it's a great place to do off-site work because mm. people are looking for something different I sure think, in yeah and i presume as well in a festival the word of mouth factor is much much higher in terms of you know people yeah, being around yeah. seeing all these yeah. things and that's then chatting right. about yeah. them like yeah. yeah yeah um which obviously i think is is still probably you know for all the technological advances i think you know somebody personally recommending a show is probably the single most important thing like um 
do you think uh oh yeah no you've, you've actually completely answered that i was going to ask about like a non-traditional theater space you know being more interesting you you've absolutely answered that um could i ask you about front of house and backstage by tom lane um i'm going to be speaking yeah, to tom later the in the stalls. week yeah so uh, and the stalls yeah um so um i i have i have to admit i like i, I didn't see those shows i think i was in dublin i wasn't wasn't in Cork with them and I didn't I didn't manage to make it down and um, what was it like working on them they were just exquisite yeah just exquisite yeah um, just a combination just uh, just a brilliant team of people and yeah the first one was front of house and it's a combination of Tom is kind of really amazing to work with he's so um he's so rigorous in himself and so clear and so straightforward and so undemanding um but really open and mm-hmm. so Connor Hanratty is the same and so we had they had a tiny amount of money and Tom came to me and I just really liked the idea and the opera house were incredibly supportive and so we made this tiny 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 little show that we rehearsed in a really short space of time. Mm-hmm. Tom and Lily Ackerman, who's the librettist, who's a real talent. She's like, you know, a gem. And I think that's what it was. It was a real gem. Musically, it was really beautiful. The libretto was like, you know, amazing about Hoover's. And, um, and then we got a bunch of singers together who turned out to be just kind of brilliant as well Magella Colour in particular um, every now and again you come across a it's all almost always performers but not not exclusively but somebody who's kind of the equivalent of a white witch or where they just come into the room and everything changes instantly and Magella Colour is like that she walks into a room and she has so much energy and love and crack and talent and generosity and rigor I mm. mean everything and but it's all couched in this just totally ordinary totally relaxed and so she she changed she changes everything when she walks into a room and so we had her in the in it and for us at the time it was a really big deal to get convinced somebody like Magella Color to do this tiny thing in mm. the opera so up through front of house and then at the end of front of house there was a little magical moment where one of the singers ends up out on the street, on the bridge, and everybody's up at the top floor of the opera house and the floor-to-ceiling windows, mm. and they look out and there's the singer out on the bridge. And the very final scene takes place on the bridge. And it was, uh, it was like, it was pure magic, mm-hmm. the moment of it. So, um, yeah, so it was kind of just magical. And then we got together to do backstage, and which is, the same, just kind of brilliant. Was it, was it the same team for backstage? Same team, and we added. So the musicians for the singers, we had four: Magella Color, Emma Nash, Kelly Petku, Petku, yeah. Um, excuse me, and who else? Was there another singer? No, that was everybody in. And then Alex Petku was the percussionist mm-hmm. and um, the clarinetist. His name's just gone out of my head. With it, it's so terrible. It'll come back to me. I can see her. She was in that band, Fred. Um, uh, wonderful. She lives in Denmark. 
Oh. oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry if she's ever watching this. I'm really sorry. Um, and so we, we wanted to keep the same team. And then for backstage, we needed a stage manager. So we we came, we cast Matthew and Kate Ellis joined. And so then for the third instrument, which was stalls, we needed more musicians, more singers. So we cast John Scott oh. and bunch of other singers we had 10 singers in the stalls and then a chorus which was a, a kind of an amateur chorus carolyn goodwin carolyn goodwin clarinetist um and we had a chorus in the stalls um because the stalls so back so front of house was about the cleaners mm-hmm. but actually it was hoovers were the characters mm. this the backstage was about stage fright and mm. a bet kind of the sort of taking the piss out of stage managers in yeah. all kind of good humored way and it was about singers getting stage fright and running off and then uh meeting the theater ghost which was Magella. <laughs> 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 Totally bonkers, and the stage manager having his kind of meltdown because the singers had run off. Totally, mm. like totally funny. And then the stalls was about the audience. Yeah. And uh, the stalls was about an audience watching an opera, um, basically at, about a goat or something. I maybe remember what the opera is about, but it was about the characters were all in the audience, and mm. so we flipped the auditorium. Yeah. Um, uh, initially, we had wanted to put the seating onto the stage and have the uh, the performers in the auditorium, mm-hmm. but because the previous year uh, we had done a, uh, we had done the first part of how it is in on the stage of the Everyman mm-hmm. with uh, Garson Lazar and had all sorts of skirmishes with the fire officer, mm-hmm. and at the end of it, he went, "Okay, that's it. Nobody in court can do um, shows on stage." <sighs> anymore no, can have audience on stage anymore is it can't have audience on stage anymore yeah is that um, really yeah yeah is that just true yeah. for you or is that for everyone for everyone oh no, oh, <laughs> yeah, no it, wasn't, it wasn't all our fault we'd have to do a whole other interview for me to yeah, talk yeah. through the uh risk assessments and the, and you. everything and yeah it would be I'd love to, I would love to, to, to do that public interview sometime with okay, various people. That could be arranged. But yes, it wasn't all my fault. <laughs> but yeah, so so we had to, uh, uh, we had to kind of try and really figure it out because Lily Ackerman, the librettist, was really adamant that that the, the audience had to, the, the actors had to be in the audience to mm-hmm. make it work. Yeah. And when we were in looking at the auditorium one day, I realised that, of course, the seating in the opera house can come out. And Drew McCarthy, who's their in-house lighting guy, who's just brilliant, yeah, uh, was there the with me. And we were kind of looking at it. And he, yeah, uh, he's the chief electrician. He's chief elect, chief yeah. elect, yeah. And he, um, he was like going, yeah, yeah, yeah we well, can take those out. And then we realised, uh, Andrew was saying, well, look, you could take out X number of rows, and then we can build up a little rake, and then you have this mirror. Mm. It was even like 20 million times better Mm. because when the audience walked into the auditorium, there was a real kind of double take because the the seats were flipped. So it takes a moment because they're exactly the same. So I think the front 12 rows um, were facing back at you. And so so we 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 didn't tell people in advance that that's what we had done. And so that's what they came into. So the moment of magic in the stalls was at the beginning. Yeah. and uh, yeah, so that was that was 
amazing and Nora Kate my daughter was in it she was one of the chorus so oh, yeah. and, um she had the time of her life um fantastic yeah, so really I mean, that that sounds like a completely different experience than from say your first time in in the half moon you know before it was the half yeah. moon and you know like know. it must have been really great to contrast that like in the amount of support and well, what was interesting is when we went back, when we were doing backstage, mm-hmm. um, the, of course, the half moon has reverted back to being back a into scene a scene doc. Yeah, yeah. So it was like it really was deja vu. But absolutely, I remember the day standing there in in the half moon with Connor Hanratty and and the full tech team from the opera house and everybody just standing around going, "Yeah, okay, yeah, we can do that." And me, like me, going, "Okay, and what about and what about?" And yeah, and so they're different. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite, different. quite potent. Great. Yeah. Um, so putting on a show um, in the front of house in the backstage areas and the stalls of a theater, like while it's technically not traditional in its space, you, you still get all the resources of the theater, but then you also get the additional interest of it not being, you know, on the stage. Um, is this a like, a sort of a like little cheat code for you know site specific or site responsive theater in the way that if you can get a venue um as a sort of a partner in in a project like that you get to have all the uh the benefits and the interest of being off-site but then you get you know to borrow yeah. equipment and uh use the 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 knowledge of the the team in the venue as well yeah i mean it's it, it, a cheat code is a good way of putting it. Um, it's. Um, I, I, th- I think it's 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 not often that you get the chance to do that, mm-hmm. because of course, um, venues don't ha- have the money to explore their buildings like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for example, how it is, which is uh, the work with Garson Lazar in the Everyman. Mm-hmm which is uh, looking kind of at exploring the building, different aspects. Um, We really, that was a big commitment from the everyman to commit resources. And, and of course the, uh, the audience is quite small. Um, But what we did discover is that it's also really, it's a really good way of sort of making, making the work more appealing. Certainly the, that Beckett, I mean, you know, how it is is a massively difficult and kind of challenging and ambitious piece of text. And so to present it in a way that helped audiences find a way in was the kind of, was the real ambition on Judy's part behind the staging ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was the kind of the thinking behind that process. Um, the thinking behind front of house backstage and the stalls was really Eileen Gleason's idea of kind of look why don't we do something to you know celebrate the building mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know was it Eileen or Tom but between the two of them they cooked up this idea of making kind of small small operas um, the audience for contemporary opera in Cork is very very limited um, and so, um, yeah, it was a big investment in a way, but we kind of worked around what was happening and in in the theatre. So it wasn't until we did the stalls where we really had to kind of pull on the 
the full might of the venue because they mm-hmm. couldn't put anything else into the house while we were there. Right, so that I was, see, okay. Um, but it was still, you know, we were really nimble and and tight. And, mm. But, but I mean, we that, did have the full That was also in a festival context, wasn't it? As in it, it was a very yeah. quick, quick in or something. I, I think, I seem That's to recall, right, was, like, yeah. I think I worked on the rig for it or something. Um, oh, I was coming... I think I was working on the out of the show that was before. Because you were it. with the junk ensemble. Yeah, exactly. I was with junk. So they came. I was after. down there for yeah for for eight yes. hours or something. Yeah. And they were coming in afterwards, That's so we right. were passing yeah. by ships in the like ships in the yeah. night. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so so nimble, but also certainly uh, it, it required. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you couldn't put obviously yeah you couldn't put two yeah. else on at the same time. Yeah, I mean the the big ambition with that is and we had hoped to to do it in fact we were going to apply for funding to do it this year and then didn't in the end because um uh, what i wanted to do was take the three parts and bring it to dublin mm. but not do it in one venue because of course the whole idea of it in the first place was to celebrate the opera house and so in taking it out of cork I my feeling was that it the shift of the idea needed the, the idea needed to shift to something else and so what I wanted to do or what we wanted to do was to do it in three different iconic Dublin venues and the only venue in Dublin with any kind of decent backstage space where you could bring audiences or could likely bring audiences was the gate and they were kind of vaguely considering yeah like kind of, they were up for it mm. we had no idea how we were going to make it work but having seen Gatsby and um, we knew at least something could be made to yeah. work and then we wanted to do the souls in project in in Traverse um so that literally we use the audience on one side and you know very kind of conventional mm-hmm. and then the third was front of house wanted to do in the abbey because you've got the floor to ceiling um or the board gosh um but at a certain point we 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 just didn't have our sort of thinking caps on soon enough with the funding deadline but we may revisit that um next year for 22 22 23 um and again that so that you'd have the three happening all at the same time i did i did the matrix of the scheduling Mm. which would be fun there's a lot of running for place to place. I was going to say as well, it, like you know, there could be a really, you could make a lovely day of it if you could, if it was possible to see all three and also could. walk across the city twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like Tom Lane would probably, if there was a thing where oh, an audience was like walking from one venue to another, I feel like he'd probably compose something. That's right. Or that yeah. that you could listen to while you're going yeah. as well, you yeah. know. It probably has something already. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you could even do what was it the the project they did that I wasn't involved in the bridges thing? Didn't they mm. do something with the Sam Beckett Bridge? Yes, yeah, I'll be asking them about that. Yeah, um, so we could. So I think we still might revisit that. Well, I hope you do. Yeah, um, give me an opportunity to see them. So. To see them, if yeah, for for selfish no, reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I think a good few people like feel like that, and the audiences are kind of tiny. Mm. Yeah, certainly for front of house. Um, although, hey, pre-COVID, tiny was tiny, but like, you know, look at me now. Um, because we had, I think, fifty was the capacity for front of house, and I think we had decided eighty. 
um for backstage um but i think we kind of shifted it back to 75 in the end um because of tall people um i always forget about tall people um so yeah i think it would be lovely and i did the i did the scheduling and the, the the kind of three show day was really good fun to schedule because because of the same cast being mm. in and that thing of, and what was really brilliant about having a team of people that come through is that i know what they're capable of mm. so unlike normal especially with singers you have to kind of go well actually you know how how many shows can singers do yeah. whereas i know exactly what magella and kelly and emma and matt can can deliver so mm-hmm. and i also and also i think they would they would they they feel a real ownership of the project as well yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. they would do three show days and race across town <laughs> no problem <laughs> Um, I say that now. Remind me. Okay. Well, <laughs> when you well, see they, me they end up in the street being shouted at by three <laughs> singers, going, "What are you doing? I'm tired. <laughs> my leg, my dress is all dirty." Oh, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, so um, there, there seems to me uh, like a lot of Cork theatre artists in particular gravitate towards site specific i'm thinking of companies like kirkadarka hammergrin broken crow rory donovan conflicted theater uh tom lane timmy creed irene kelleher um it seems to be you know like for the region it seems to be more now i maybe it's that i'm from cork i'm familiar more with the, the life but do you think that like i mean do you think that's true, first of all? And secondly, do you think that some of that is is partly down to Kirkadurka leading the way in the 90s? Um, I think it's two reasons. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the kind of the the kind of trajectory or the ecosystem around the country, um, uh, Cork has always been really kind of brilliant civic spirit so the kind of the 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 city fathers have always been open to giving public spaces and Mm. giving access to artists and community and so so there's always been that energy uh, in the city I remember when I moved to Dublin in 1998 and you know sort of kept trying to do site specific because it was just so much harder in Dublin Mm. and I was not you know not helped by suddenly you know the property boom came along and suddenly everything was prime sort of land but uh all through that i think that the 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 sort of civic spirit in cork has always been really strong and and i think the second reason is kirkadurka yeah um i think there always was that and it it was born out of there wasn't there wasn't spaces Mm. to make shows um, I think in Galway you had, you know, Markness and Druid. So there were, you know, very clear kind of channels mm-hmm. through which kind of people gravitated. Um, and and in Cork there wasn't a, like in Waterford there was Spree. Um, so I think because in Cork there wasn't a, that sort of street theatre energy, a lot of it got channeled into off-site and site-specific mm. work mm-hmm. and I guess because in the 90s when Kirkadurka started doing it um it never felt like they'd started doing it, it always felt like that's what people did in a right. weird way 
Um, I never, and and I think it is because of that feeling of ownership of civic spaces that mm. we feel at being from Cork. Mm. I mean, the idea, you know, like as long as I can remember, you know, if you came up with an idea, well, yeah, let's do something in Fitzgerald's Park, let's do something in, on Patrick Street, or let's do, that's never followed by, oh my God, I wonder who we'll ask, or I wonder would we be allowed. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you go to Dublin, it's like, you know, even back in the day, it's like, okay, you know, um, oh, I want to do something in the Ivy Gardens. Oh, no, that's an OPW space or this is belong to city corporation. And mm. so the access or the feeling of ownership of your own civic spaces was, is very different, I think, uh, in, mm. in Dublin. I think... I mean, that's only my own experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Cork, we all feel like we own the place. It's <laughs> Cork thing, though. <laughs> uh, okay, I think all the people not from Cork have stopped listening now, so we could just talk about Cork for the rest of the interview. Um, how, as a as a producer, how do you try to increase community engagement with a site specific project? I, I, I am sort of allergic to the term community engagement. Okay. How come? Um, I, I don't understand, uh, you know, because that feels like a them and us mm-hmm. scenario. It's like, it, it just doesn't work like that for me. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, so, uh, yeah, so increasing community engagement, uh, like, uh, genuinely, I, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, if you mean sort of how do you how do you kind of like I, I suppose uh, to rephrase it um, how I guess it's kind of the audience how do you ensure that um, people who are not necessarily uh, working on the project um, but are but who live uh, in the area that you're working in or are connected to say uh, you know an old house or something like that how do you ensure that they are engaged um, in the project and that they you know see it and that they uh, appreciate you know this piece of art being made as opposed to what could happen if you if you do not try to um, encourage uh, people locally to to become involved they may feel like who are these who are these company coming in um making this piece of work well that's the i think that's the first place it's really i don't i don't i don't i don't agree with the coming in stuff okay. um uh no i've been very lucky in that most of the you know most of the offsite and site specific work i've done hasn't has been in spaces and places that hasn't impacted on people's lot day to day lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's take the big chapel, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I mean, one of the things that you know that attracted me to it in the first place was that it was about itself. It was mm-hmm. you know, Maven don't live there, um, and they'd been working for a few years on different projects and different shows with people. And, you know, basically just, you know, exploring ways of telling stories back to themselves. And so by the time I came along, kind of, the, you know, the entire 
town was you know engaged or involved mm. or committed or and and the other thing is as well is i just i i do believe that um it's you know people if people don't want to they they don't have to sure um and so long as you know as long as you're not imposing on their impacting their day-to-day life negatively mm. um then that's fine um i think with big chapel people who weren't uh, involved or engaged or taking part or interested we sort of tried to make it as uh, as uh, low impact as we could um, now we did have the entire town closed um, mm-hmm. every night for 10 nights but we we like Emma worked for months on a road closure system that you know just involved um, just detours around the towns and, mm-hmm. you know and, and the the you know we like part of our contingency like way back was you know we looked at everything like okay what happens if there's a funeral a removal mm-hmm. what what happens if it happens at x time or y time or z time what do we do how do we do it if you know how like and like we literally went through everything mm-hmm. and we just kind of talked to people all the time and we ran workshops but a lot of people were already involved mm-hmm. and then we did things like we didn't sweat the small stuff. So we had to have a capacity of a hundred people for the show. Mm-hmm. So we knew that we were never going to be able to get people, you know, to see the show. And so safety was the big concern. Um, and, um, and so, we, you know, we had to, basically the audience capacity had to be the smallest space and that was a hundred people, mm-hmm. but about two thirds of the show was on the streets. And, and most of the scenes were in parts of the town that, hundreds of people could gather mm. and again we didn't sweat the detail if people didn't have tickets for the show and they wanted to show up and yeah. watch it it was like absolutely as the run went on people realized that you know they couldn't get into the school at the beginning of the show but loads of people would show up outside chancing their arm and, and you know the more they chance around i go yeah definitely hang on here just follow on you'll see most of everything mm. you'll see most of everything so that was the thing it's like i never I never kind of discourage people from kind of chancing the rhyme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. And yeah, and so so I think that the idea of community engagement um, can, you know, I mean, I'm really lucky in that I work in theatre and I work in kind of professional theatre. And so it's not about community development. Mm. And there is crossover sometimes, particularly with asylum. Um, but I think I'm really lucky with asylum in that they're so embedded in in their in the place they live. And Callan is a really interesting place. Mm. It's such an integrated community that because of the Campbell communities and because of KCAT and people like Aton Houlihan with her cafe there and the workhouse union. I mean, it's just it's an extraordinary place. Mm. And the idea of inclusivity is really it's lived there. Mm. So, so all those things of you know the terms of community engagement, inclusivity, they're they're not terms; they're they're li- they're lived experiences mm-hmm. in Callan. And I I've, I've been really lucky. I think I've learned a lot from working with them in the last two or three years. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, so you, you know, do you feel like you've built up a, a body of experience now, and you know, stuff that would have been a major challenge earlier in your career now you have either the contacts or you have the experience to deal with that 
um do you still do you still find new things on you know every time you do a show just from the nature of like it's a new every piece of time. work yeah every time it's a new piece of work particularly with site specific and off-site every time you do it you go okay great now i'll never make that mistake again oh mm-hmm. no that'll never do and then off you go into the next one and you've got all your belts and braces and you think and then suddenly something else comes yeah. up and yeah, so yeah. Uh, that is um but I, I i also think the same is of conventional theater because mm. um every artist is different and how they make stuff i think that's i like that mm. I, I i like that challenge i like a um i don't think i'd last very long if if i was working in a in an environment where we always did things mm. this way yeah i don't think any theater maker would actually i think it, it's yeah. probably inherent in wanting to make theater that you're, yeah. you want to be challenged by something yeah um because there's yeah there's much much easier ways of making a living like you yeah. know yeah yeah um uh, and like speaking of challenges like how has 2020 been for you with the global pandemic it has been a really kind of a total roller coaster it's going to have been a series of kind of planning on doing on producing deproducing sideways producing them and then you know i i then an interesting thing happened to me halfway through the year in that kirkadirka lost their company manager and they approached me to say look mm-hmm. will you come and run the company for because we don't want to recruit straight away finn flynn had been there for 17 years yeah and so they quite rightly didn't want to rush into in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I said I uh, I wouldn't because I didn't want a job. Um, but I said I would take it on if if I could bring in a young producer um, and that basically they would kind of do the day to day stuff. And I would look after the strategic kind of development and thinking and mm-hmm. and work with Pat on that. And so that's been working quite well. Um, but it was really interesting to to suddenly get a job mm. <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so so that's sort of been that, you know, like, uh, you know, the way that kind of the freelance thing where, you know, you sh- you're always supposed to have your cash cow. That's what Siobhan Burke said to me many years ago. More, if you're going to freelance, you need a cash cow so that, you know, you can just at least kind of have that bedrock. And I've never really had that. Mm. Um, well, I did actually, for about 10 years, I managed the private hire of Lismore Castle. That was my... Right. Yeah, cash yeah. cow yeah. and so that meant i could do all my kind of bonkers project work because of course it doesn't pay to be a freelance producer in the independent sector <laughs> at all yeah um and so um so yeah so the time with kirkadurka has been really interesting because they are a strategically funded company with an office and all those you know things like accountants and audited and rewards and all of which i know from various times in different organizations but um all of which i've i've you know eschewed and avoided and ran away from all my life mm-hmm. um so it's really interesting now they're you know there's such a like because their work is off-site and and all of that it's i think that's uh interesting to go back in there with them um and and really interesting to go back to cork mm-hmm in that way um even though i've been making shows in cork on and off over the last number of years my sort of trajectory has been sort of out around the world and mm. dublin as well and mm-hmm. so um 
but yeah so the so the the year has been curious interestingly i have found that because i'm working parent and because i've been down in the well the wells of west waterford for the last 12 years i've often been completely isolated mm. there's often been kind of months when i don't get out of here and 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 uh back when it was skype um you know and and i it was incredibly frustrating for many years for me because i constantly felt like i was missing out because mm. i wasn't getting to see all the shows i wasn't getting to be at theater forum or iti or the abbey opening night or the gate or um and so you know wasn't connecting with people like um you know there's a group of producers who meet casually uh, once a month I wasn't ever able to get to those gatherings because they were always in Dublin now everything's on Zoom so I'm completely in the back in the centre of everything again mm. and and connecting with all my peers I'm doing I promise of doing you know doing a lot with other producers to kind of keep fighting for the kind of reopening of theatres the development of the kind of the dance sector and then mm. kind of improving their lot so we've been able to do a lot more it's on the plus side for me because mm. everybody's come into my world so um and you know and and apart from anything else i've just the, the frustration about missing shows um is different for me because i've I've been missing shows for years because I've mm. been here tied yeah. to a, a school run. So I can't go to Dublin and spend, you know, two weeks at the Dublin Theatre Festival eating, sleeping, drinking shows. Mm. Um, I've been so so that that release of frustration has, you know, has been has been good. Mm. Um, I don't want it to last very long. because sure. Obviously. Yeah. But so. Oh, we'll, see. We'll, see, we'll see what happens um yeah. next i mean um like just today uh we're, we're still waiting on um news of uh you know the white smoke from brussels um regarding a brexit deal um so apart from you know a pandemic we also have this potential um economic albatross kind of hanging yeah. around our neck um yeah. if if I suppose I don't really want to go into the side of like, you know, what happens if there's a deal or no deal or something. I think we can kind of take it that things will be different um, between Ireland and the UK. Um, what's like, what are some sort of practical issues that you found? That you, I know you deal with like often a lot of like travel or contracts, things like that. Have you found that it's already starting to affect planning for next year and onwards? Um, well, it would have had mm -hmm. had sort of the pandemic not hit. Right. Um, so, like, um, I think at a certain point last March, everybody just parked their UK plans. Right. Um, okay. And um, and and so, yeah, and so and you know, any touring part plans in Europe, in the UK, in the US, anything that yeah. I had in the mix. I literally like just parked because actually yeah. there's there's been no point in even connecting with the co-producers or sure. partners. Um, the only ones we have been connecting with is an opera project, mm -hmm. um, and um, which is uh, with a French company, and um, that's the only one we've kind of forged ahead with. But the premiere is going to be in Ireland, and then the then moved to. 
to France. And the uh, the only thing I know at the moment that I'm kind of planning in terms of a Brexit thing is in the past, if you needed to get uh, freight to France really quickly, the mm. quickest way was to kind of send it through the UK and on mm. the channel. Yeah. So you'd like load up the van, do the ferry, drive, I mean, drive across and then do the channel and right. get to France. Be there in less than a day, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you couldn't get it on a, if you couldn't get it on a like a, a, a an airplane size container, mm. um, so so yeah, I mean the only thing and and even you know the the freight company that I work with, Dan Moriarty and Early Bird, I've just kind of said to Dan, look, I'll see you when I see you. Tell me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the last conversation I had with him is like he's still on, like I don't know, <laughs> just we don't know, um. I have a feeling that it won't be as bad for theatre as we think. Um, but then, you know, there's not a massive amount of theatre going back and forth between the UK and Ireland. Mm. Um, probably is a lot more mu- it's music. A lot more music and, and, yeah, maybe dance. And, yeah. 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 Um, but because of the pandemic, we've all just parked. Mm. Um, and part of like another element of that is like the movement of performance online, you know, either streaming or, or putting up um, recordings of shows and that. Have you engaged in any of those? Or how, like, how do you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think no more than anybody else, maybe not so much younger or more better resourced, but I think it's been a real dilemma for everybody. Mm. What to do, how to do it. And, and because things keep sh- shifting every week, it's, really hard to know um uh, with Kirkadirka we there was a very easy kind of project which was their work in progress festival show mm-hmm. that was really lovely to work on because actually what we discovered was moving that online created massive increase in opportunity for the mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. but we worked really hard we, we chose six artists we we decided that the focus we would put on it would be for ideas for off-site work and we chose six artists to kind of present to pitch for kind of uh, six different ideas normally the artists you know for a show which is their festival in november they do stuff in the theater development center in triscoll be a little live 20 minute 15 minute excerpt of their sort of the the work to date because we were moving it online we thought oh, we need to do something more interesting and so we we looked at we, we asked them to make a pitch mm. and so they made these fantastic pitches where it was kind of part showing their research part showing the sites they wanted to work and then some elements of performance and with all six what you had was like really accomplished um uh, kind of glimpse at where they were at in their development Mm. you could really see where each project might end up or might you know and there was enough of a glimpse of the performance to get a sense of the style and scale and and so it turned out to be like absolutely this is the way that all work in progress should be shown Mm. (laughs) it's like um and but so I think next year what will happen is that Kirkadirka will have a live event, but mm. but this online event and actually through the Arts Council capacity building grant, we're going to extend it to being a year round platform. Mm. So we're um, so and we've also got some funding to buy some camera equipment for the TDC and some training right. so that pe- we can 
basically train artists mm-hmm. to film and using the the show ideas yeah. and that throughout the year that people can use this platform as a as a place to put up work in progress or pitches or and then for their part Kirkadirka would just keep the kind of festivals and presenters not just in Ireland but internationally yeah, yeah, yeah. keep them like aware saying look this is you know just have a look here keep an eye here this is where some young theatre makers in Cork are pitching their ideas yeah you couldn't make it easier for them yeah yeah. So I think so. That's been a real plus. Um, I'm also working with Paul Kyoken, that'll be mm. Paul and Ross Kavanagh on a kind of a bonkers idea, where it really is an experiment. Where we Paul has some ideas about uh, making the viewer experience of streaming more interactive or a bit more like you know the kind of Google Map idea, where you can sort of zoom in and mm-hmm. but to, to do that without like six camera ten camera you know shoot where you've got to spend like masses of money and so we're doing a little experiment in partnership with Anne Clark mm-hmm. in January we're going to try and see if we're like really talking through our hats or uh, there is kind of some notion of an idea um, I've been involved in a, kind of lots of informal producer networks where we're all going like what how and um and i think some people are better at it than others um and i mean you know for everybody it is all about the live work Mm. and um and without that like what do we do um but the reality is you know the extent to which the industry is kind of crippled at the moment um is really kind of scary and um, I think it is important to to keep finding out how mm. technology and how that kind of digital platforms can can help enhance the live experience, support the live experience, not replace it, but you know uh, maybe uh, you know help keep the live experience alive while mm. it's on hold um, and. And to some extent, I feel as a producer, not only do I not know the answer, but I don't even know the questions. Mm. And so that's what I've been trying to do as a producer is just kind of, just kind of, just can just kind of talk to people, yeah. uh, work with people, and see. And I, I'm waiting to hear about a funding of a of a new kind of producing hub that I'm hoping to set up. If the Arts Council will give me the money, and. One part of it is we partnered with the Civic Theatre and with The Place in UK. They are spearheading a, a digital development training slash knowledge building, capacity building programme that'll be like a two, three year plan. And we've kind of basically kind of, had, kind of sort of stitched ourselves to their coattails yeah, yeah. so that... Uh, as things progress, that at least we're connected formally to a very kind of sort of experienced uh, organization who will be kind of doing kind of development work in Ireland. Mm. So that's kind of my way. Rather, again, it's a piece of Siobhan Burke advice, uh, which is don't be reinventing the wheel every time, Maura. Mm. Um, she, she told me, don't, don't forget your cash cow and <laughs> don't be reinventing the wheel. <laughs> I mean, it was like 20 years ago she gave me this advice and I, I stick by it. Um, 
so it's the, yeah it is they are they are and mm-hmm. so that's the thing with the digital kind of the digital space um for me it's just just kind of remain open mm. but but like i i am not so much that i'm too old it's i'm too old but um i you know you can't be all things to all people and if you can kind of keep 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 doors open for artists to go through mm. then that's great thanks so much for your time um I one last question um you've uh, i think you've talked about some very like wise takings there um from this year but what, like what's the most important lesson that you've learned in 2020 that you're going to take forward to 2021 uh, <laughs> um, i don't know actually that's a really interesting question i thought you were going to ask me what i wanted to be when i grow up i think um what um i, I in some ways you know it's 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 I think the most important lesson I'm going to take with me is that it is possible for the sector, for theatre and for people who work in the arts to 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 work together. And um, that's something I've learned this year is that we can and we do. And and I think that that old school kind of patriarchal, hierarchical um, system uh, may not be totally gone but um but i think it's it's not it's it's not the one that works the one mm-hmm. that has worked this year is the one where everybody has just been open with each other now i've mm-hmm. been very lucky and that i've 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 been kind of plugged into lots of producer networks but certainly the amount of generosity that we've all offered and shown to each other at every level you know it's mm-hmm. uh, is um has been has been a, a really really good thing from this year and yeah. i i definitely you know intend hanging on to that brilliant all right thanks a million um it's lovely to chat to you and uh have a nice christmas we'll talk to you soon so thanks to maura for having a chat with me and uh thanks as well to the arts council for supporting this project um thanks as well to astronaut mike dexter for composing the music Um, In the next episode, I'll be speaking to director Donal Gallagher. Chat to you then.